0: Brake application was applied. The train was traveling at approximately
1: 106 miles per hour. You're listening to the news on RTHK. The
2: investment trend for
1: the last three to five years.
3: The financial services is known to be very tough.
1: And traders trading all sorts of things.
3: Volatility in the foreign exchange market. Money Four.
4: And welcome to Thursday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Treasuries fall amid renewed selling in European bonds. The, the dollar retreats as weak retail sales data bolsters signs that the U.S. economy is deteriorating. And Cisco's third-quarter earnings beat estimates, and ten cents profit rises to a record as games Leo uses to spend. The Nikkei may fall a half a percent at the open uh, this morning. That's what the futures are showing. Let's ask our guest host, Richard Harris of Port Shelter Investment Management. Why?
2: Well, it's not an unusual thing uh, because, of course, Europe was on the weak side last night. UK was up a bit, but uh, the DAX was down quite a bit. And, of course, the US was quite sluggish. And it's quite an important point that markets in Asia often mirror. What happens in Wall Street the night before? There tends to be very little leadership, especially up to around lunchtime.
4: All right. Well, uh, we'll talk uh, more about all of that with our guest, uh, Markets guest this morning. Looks like all of our guests are in Singapore today. We have uh, Standard Chartered Banks David Mann and then Tankin Lian and Associates Tankin Lian uh, also in Singapore to tell us about new commission free insurance products. Well, U.S. retail sales disappointed in April. They were unchanged as American households cut back on purchases of automobiles and other big ticket items. Although the March retail sales were revised higher to show a 1.1% rise instead of the previously reported 0.9 percent rise. That wasn't enough to offset the general weak tone of the report. Economists had forecast U.S. sales would rise to 0.2 percent in April. Richard, does this bolster arguments for the Fed to delay tightening?
2: Well, I think it bolsters the the Fed's arguments. Uh, uh, I mean, of course, uh, market uh Analysts have been looking at tightening happening uh, really almost from now onwards, and very little has seemed to have happened. It's almost as if the Fed wants to use all of these things as an excuse not to actually move ahead. Um, It's fairly well known that Janine Yellen is is what they call a dove, which means she doesn't want to increase interest rates too fast. But you can't help thinking that they're starting to bottle it a bit, and, and maybe they actually should be doing something. Mm.
4: Well, JP Morgan funds, uh, fund strategist Anastasia Amoroso says that despite weaker retail sales, one sector that looks very promising is automobiles.
3: Looking at the retail number itself is maybe underwhelming or maybe even misleading, but if you start dissecting through the, through that number, one of the area that stood out to me are autos right so if you look through this earnings season, if you look through retail sales, I think what you want to do right now is go with the earnings flow and if you look at autos, they absolutely have that. Think about a the business that the autos are now in. You've got a consumer that one place they are willing to spend is actually on autos. But if you're an auto manufacturer, all of those costs, right, the oil that is used for plastics, the, the copper, the iron ore, the steel, all of that is tremendously discounted. Mm-hmm. So that bodes very well for margins for those companies.
4: So uh, let's take a look at earnings and specifically those from U.S. retailers. Richard, can you bring us up to date?
2: Well, U.S. retailers didn't have a particularly good first quarter. For instance, uh, Macy's announced yesterday Macy's fell 2.5% after announcing their first quarter results that missed market expectations. Uh, JCPenney reported a loss and Ralph Lauren profits fell 19%. Ralph Lauren's been having a pretty hard time recently. Those figures drag down the rest of the retail sectors, with investors seeing first quarter growth being hampered by bad weather and strikes in U.S. ports. And this kind of fits in a little bit with the fact that GDP is tending to be quite weak in the first quarter as well.
4: So uh, former Lomans CEO Stephen Newman says that you really have to question whether brands like uh, Macy's and Ralph Lorenz are the real winners.
3: The winners today are the people that have exciting things in their stores, exciting things that consumers want to buy. I think if we went to an Apple store today, um, they would be crowded and they would be comping because they they have a product that people want. Um, You can look at a few different brands like that um, who have been successful. So I think that Macy's has to now understand is like, why do i need to shop at macy's because i can go to macy's any day of the week and get the same kind of discount so is is there something going on in fashion or something happening enough that's going to drive the customers in there and i can say the same thing for ralph you know he was on such a great trajectory and nobody should take anything away from him and that company but how many polo shirts does people do people need in their closet and i think today we're you're, you're hearing so much more press about his new restaurant than you're hearing about the clothes that people are wearing so yeah. i just think it's an interesting thing
4: Richard, do you have enough polo shirts in your closet?
2: Well, I have a really lot of polo shirts in my closet, and, um, but I'm still not sure I really have enough
4: enough iPhones?
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't make me start on that one.
4: Okay. So, so what about tech? What about Tencent?
2: Well, actually, we're talking about winners, but Tencent, uh, which is Asia's second biggest internet company and owner of WeChat, yesterday recorded its highest profit ever of 6.9 billion yuan, up 7% in the first quarter. Now, most, most suggest this is driven by advertising, uh, but they've also been on a buying spree for online games, shopping and travel services. Uh, it looks as if it's uh, in an effort to compete with Alibaba. Tencent actually now has 550 million active users of WeChat every month, which is a little bit like WhatsApp, but that's a big number.
4: And Cisco Systems beat analyst estimates for uh, the fiscal third quarter profit, a sign of stability as CEO John Chambers prepares to hand the reins to Chuck Robbins. Bloomberg Intelligence's uh, John Butler has more.
1: This is a company that for a, not too long ago was actually struggling a bit to, um, to really grow that top line. So, you know, I'm anxious to hear where the strong points were. Uh, I think this quarter, all eyes are going to be on that management change coming up in July. Um, you know, as we heard not too long ago, John Chambers is stepping down as CEO. Uh, Chuck Robbins is going to be taking his place. So my hope is that on the call, uh, we may hear something from Robbins or at the very least hear a bit about the upcoming transition. But as for the quarter itself, you know, decent top line number in line, bottom line beat by a penny and it was on strong margins. So that tells me that pricing was good or the product mix was good or both.
4: JP Morgan's Anastasia Amoroso believes that Cisco is actually very interesting for investors.
3: John Chambers maybe a year ago maybe six months ago did an interview where he was very very optimistic on the sector and I can completely understand why because what tech is going through right now is not just sort of the cyclical tailwind because companies are using their cash flow to upgrade the technology but tech is also going through the secular tailwind and and that means that all of us we want all things digital and we want that all the time so when you think about a company like Cisco maybe it sounds boring it's been around for a while maybe it's not you know the most exciting five works type of company, but it's the piping, it's the infrastructure, it's the internet infrastructure. So I think even in the case of Cisco and company that's been around for for some time, there's definitely some interest there for investors.
4: Well, U.S. stocks closed barely changed with investors sidelined ahead of corporate earnings and economic data. The Dow ended down seven points at 18,060. The S&P erased just over half a point to 2,098. And the Nasdaq gained five points to 4,981. All right, let's bring in our first guest of the morning. That's David Mann, and he is the director, managing director and chief economist of Asia at Standard Chartered Bank. He joins us from Singapore. Good morning, David. Good morning. So, David, uh, indeed, the Nikkei has opened down half a percent to 19,668. Were you surprised at all?
0: Um, No, I don't think so. I I think we're in sort of a a tough point right now, I think, for uh, stocks, or actually in general for assets. If you look also uh, even at uh, bonds, uh, uh, not just in majors, but in emerging markets, uh, there is a sense... Uh, of uh, just some unwinding of uh, some prior longs. Maybe things had gone a little bit too far. But I think the, the biggest issue here is that people still seem to be believing uh, that we're very close to an interest rate hike from the U.S., At the same time, we're actually getting data out that's starting to suggest uh, that even the second quarter, quarter—never mind the first quarter of US growth in the US was relatively soft. And as you were just talking about earlier, retailers weren't doing that well. Uh, The the, uh, consumer spending numbers overall in Q1 was weak. People like to blame all kinds of different things for that. Uh, But even in Q2, it does feel like even the windfall from lower oil prices is something that has not really been feeding into uh, uh, more spending elsewhere. Partly, at least, because healthcare spending has had to be that much stronger.
4: Yeah, David, you you mentioned, uh, you know, the bond route that's sort of going around. Is this something that you think will continue?
0: Um, I think it would if we're in a world where we see sharp rises in major market bond yields. So I'm talking about U.S. Treasuries heading towards... Three percent, for example, on the 10-year, or a major uh, backup even more uh, than we've seen uh, in European yields. In the absence of that, uh, I don't think that it's going to be coming from a near-term rate hike from the U.S. In fact, we're thinking September for the first hike, and even then, it may be delayed uh, even later if there's any risk to that, and certainly the economic data would suggest that. So I I think this sell-off, and it may well be continuing all the way through uh, this month at least, uh, is going to just be offering buying opportunities in many of the risk
2: assets but the thing about the bond markets is, is of course they're so fundamental and we haven't really seen a sell-off quite like this uh, well or, or for a very long time certainly in terms of its its magnitude i mean the german yield's gone from 0.05 to something like 0.7 um uh, which is which is enormous surely there's going to be some knock-on effect uh the, the, that could lead to maybe uh, some contagion in the markets
0: Absolutely. I think this is what we're in right now already. We've seen, for example, in Indonesia, uh, local market bond yields have risen dramatically and elsewhere in places that are relatively heavily uh, foreign-owned. is There certainly is reason to be nervous uh, short-term, and and those moves uh, do matter, even leading some to talk about whether uh, we're uh, in the uh, the middle or early stages of the taper tantrum uh, 2.0. We're not quite buying into the view that things will get as dramatic as that uh, but if uh, we, now that we've seen these dramatic moves uh, in some of the major markets if they follow through uh, then I think there will be uh, even better levels to be buying but I think that's the way around that would be that sure this can continue at least in the near term uh, but we don't think this is something that's going to persist uh, throughout say the next three to six months.
2: Well it does look as if the equity markets haven't actually followed the bond markets quite as much as they normally would.
0: Yeah, I think uh, in some cases uh, we had already seen, for example, in uh, Indonesia, uh, a major drop off after some disappointing uh, earnings there. And I think people are getting a little bit uh, concerned also about uh, if you look at say India or even in uh, Thailand, where expectations uh, had been higher of getting more of a positive economic growth impact coming from uh, more, uh, in particular in Thailand's case, infrastructure spending arriving sooner rather than later. It looks now like it's coming later, Rather than sooner, and I I think that is also another factor to add to some of the uh, the the reasons why uh, they they won't necessarily be uh, rallying that sharply. Uh, We've already had some pretty good moves, uh, especially in India's case.
4: So, David, you know, as uh, investors then think about where to put their money, um, sort of the natural answer, perhaps uh, with what's going on in bonds as well, put your money in equities. But then if you look at equities, I mean, a lot of things look bubbly or perhaps overva- overvalued, you know, price equity ratios are high. Um, can you fill us in on sort of opportunities that exist in Asia?
0: Well, I think you have, to, you, you have to take a long-term perspective on this. If we think about where uh, the – globally, what the, the share of GDP that Asia will be accounting for will be, even in a weaker global growth environment, Asia will still actually be rising even more dramatically in that case. And I would expect, that, and this is certainly even more true for bond uh, market investors, that they want to be more and more weighted towards GDP. So there is that long-term natural buying interest. Uh, but on the equity side, thinking long-term, uh, where else are you going to get as good risk-adjusted growth? Uh, that is also increasingly domestically driven. And I say domestically, like when I'm thinking throughout the region, rather than just being a function of whatever growth is in the US or Europe, uh, we've completely transformed over the last decade uh, in the direction of going away from that dependency. And I think those markets that have a pretty strong domestic growth story uh, and are able to at least benefit from the other strong domestic growth stories in Asia if they don't themselves, Those are the locations where I think it makes the most sense. So boiling that down into countries, I would say if we do uh, get down to uh, even uh, softer levels in terms of uh, the the stock market in Indonesia, uh, I think that would be one long term to be considering. Short term, though, I think one that deserves to continue to do well, uh, and it's actually been getting a lot less attention up until recently, uh, is Taiwan.
4: So would you say short term, how short term is short term? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I'm saying like, if you're thinking of where you would uh, be considering uh, buying into over the next two to six months, okay. then, it would be, uh, th- then that would be short-term, medium-term over, over the next few years.
2: It's interesting. You uh, haven't really said much about China.
0: No, well, I mean the, the actual underlying growth momentum we think is going to uh, stabilize and then start to pick up later. This year, Uh, but in the meantime, the stock market has already had an incredibly strong rally, uh, and uh, I'm not. uh, It's one where uh, it it certainly, long-term, it it can make a lot of sense. I think the changes that we're seeing are great news in terms of making credit growth much more efficient in the economy than it was back in 2009 or 2010, uh, and at the same time, managing to move into uh, more efficient industries and more attractive industries. We shall see if we get even more uh, reforms as well, particularly in. a state-owned enterprise sector that allow for more competition, uh, then I would get even more excited about the prospects for China, even if we only, and I'm putting that in, uh, in quotation marks, only grow at, say, 6 to 6.5% six over
2: the next few years. But you just have to flick open the South China Morning Post this morning, and there's story after story of foreign reserves falling, industrial production falling. Um, even with the stock market, you know, there's now talk that perhaps there was an enormous amount of margin trading that went on to push the stock market up. None of this at the moment sounds terribly positive.
0: No, I think the, it, it's interesting that actually, um, in particular in the around uh, a lot of the media all over the world, it's a very easy story to sell uh, to be bearish on China. Um, but I think the, the reality is that, yes, growth is probably a bit softer uh, than the official data suggests, but uh, the actual uh, long-term prospects, I think, are still uh, looking pretty strong. And actually, a lot of the surveys that we've been looking at, in particular on the housing market, are telling us that property developers may actually be investing in more capacity and actually adding to growth uh, by year end. And I think that's something which uh, is being ignored, along with the fact that actually the debt-to-GDP ratio, which was rising so dramatically between 2009 and 2014, up 100 percentage points of GDP over that period, has more or less stabilized since the middle of last year and that's being completely ignored also by the media
4: and uh, of course it's no surprise that hong kong exchange reported a 34 uh, percent rise in first quarter net profit uh, all thanks to you know increased trading volumes from the stock connect program david this obviously i'm assuming bodes well for the shenzhen stock uh, connect program that uh, we're all waiting to hear about
0: Yes I think all of these uh, stock connect programs uh, are, are ones to be excited about when you can have a lot more interlinkages and uh, you open up to a whole new uh, pools of investors uh, and doing it in both directions uh, I think is great for uh, ongoing continued integration. Um, I would expect to see uh, plenty more of this and uh, and I think also that's why people have been getting excited on Taiwan also
4: All right David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. that is David Mann and he's managing director and chief Economist Asia at Standard Chartered. Bank. Uh, let's take a look at the numbers. The Nikkei, uh, as we said, is down half a percent to nineteen thousand six hundred and sixty-eight. Australia's ASX two hundred down 015 percent to five thousand and two uh, seven hundred five thousand seven hundred and two, excuse me. And Cosby up 007 percent to two thousand one hundred and fifteen. In currencies, one euro will currently buy you one point one three U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is trading at one hundred and nineteen point to one yen and one pound sterling buys you 12 hong kong dollars and 19 cents and one u.s dollar and 57 cents The time is now 8.21 a.m. and BNY Mellon Investment Management Asia Pacific uh, Simon Cox uh, says that if the economies of India, China, the U.S. and Japan do well, then so will the rest of the world. He was talking with Bloomberg's Zeb Epgert, Yvonne Mann, Angie Lau and Rashad Salamat.
5: If these four economies do well, the rest of the world economy will do well as well. I mean, it would add about $8 trillion to the rest of the world's GDP compared with who we are today uh, by the end of the decade. So it's not a zero-sum game. Uh, economic prosperity tends to spill over into increased prosperity elsewhere. What about pollution, though?
3: And, what, and inflation, I mean, there's so many, many questions. Yeah, yeah,
5: precisely. So it will boost oil prices. Uh, again, the simulation that we ran uh, with the help of the Economist Intelligence Unit suggests that uh, oil would go back above $100 per barrel within about three years, if this growth scenario panned out and that of course has self-limiting effects. Uh, the more expensive oil becomes, the less oil intensity uh, you see in the economy as people take economizing measures.
1: Did you ever factor in Europe when it is- putting
4: in the fifth
5: one maybe there I mean they're on a recovery as well it's looking for yeah good. so this this paper covers 45% of the global economy and you're going to ask me about the other 55% um, uh, but clearly Europe is a slightly different uh, story because one of the reasons we're optimistic about these four uh, is because you have unusually strong governments at least in the three Asian powers mm. and with Europe it's much more difficult to summarize the state of politics because there are so many moving parts there but we're broadly uh, I'm broadly optimistic about the effects of QE in Europe I think it was a mistake for the European Central bank to let its balance sheet shrink, and the fact that they're now trying to reverse that I think is clearly positive for the economy there.
1: I wonder if there are any glaring uh, issues that must be addressed, that people are not talking about. I mean, Rich alluded to pollution. I know there's been a lot of talk in Delhi, for example, about their terrible pollution problems, but other related issues that that you think we should be paying more attention to. Health, for
5: example. Well, one thing we've looked at quite closely is is womenomics. Now, womenomics is much discussed in Japan, but I think it's neglected in India and it's neglected in the US. In the US, there's this sort of feeling that the plateauing of female participation in the labor market is some sort of inevitable social transition.
4: So womenomics, did you know that uh, that, uh, it's neglected in places like, well, India, of course, but the US compared to Japan?
2: Yes, it's, it's quite a difficult one because you see in many of these Asian markets, women tend not to occupy the senior parts of business. Of course, you always get one or two family members. Um, so I'm not too sure what they're thinking about in terms of an investment theme because although in many of these markets women are starting to form an increasing part in even a majority part of the workforce, uh, they're not, often not in as influential positions as maybe uh, you would think if you were taking it as an investment theme,
4: yeah it doesn't bode well uh need to see more of that womenomics absolutely. all right uh, let's bring in our next guest tan kin lian and associates uh, director tan kin lian who's on the line from singapore good morning tan
6: uh good morning
4: cho san. uh cho san <laughs> thank you for joining us uh, today on money for nothing so tan tell us about um singapore's new commission-free insurance products what are those about
6: Uh, Well, the uh, regulator, the Monetary Authority, uh, took the initiative to set up this website called Compare First. Uh, This allows consumers to check uh, life insurance policies offered by insurance companies and uh, to get some uh, indication of uh, the the premium they have to pay for term insurance products. Uh, So this has been launched for about a month. And so far... uh, we haven't heard any news about how well it is uh, being uh, received by the public.
4: So commissions free. Uh, I mean, that sounds great for the public, but how do the sellers actually make uh, money on them?
6: Uh, well, uh, uh, the uh, uh, this uh, compare first uh, website uh, only allow term insurance to be bought commission free direct. Uh, however, uh, uh, the uh, consumer still. Uh, after getting the price from the website, still have to go to the insurance company to to buy the product. Uh, And, uh, of course, the insurance company agents have got many, many other products to sell. So uh, so as long as this uh, market segment is quite small, uh, they are not affected in other ways.
4: So, and Singapore is sort of a starting place for this. Could we expect to see uh, products like this in Hong Kong?
6: Uh, Well, I think uh, it's going to be quite problematic uh, because uh, you mentioned about uh, the impact on agents. uh, And uh, I think uh, it will take a very long time for this uh, direct purchase of insurance to take off.
2: You talk about um, commission-free insurance products and the fact that if they go to an insurance company, then other products can be sold. Presumably, they're going to be sold at a high price. And doesn't that rather... Uh, ruin the whole idea in terms of the fact that you're trying to reduce the overall price of insurance to the customer.
6: Uh, yes, uh, there are many uh, sceptical people who hold that view. Uh, that, uh, Not me, of course. Uh, con- <laughs> uh, consumers uh, uh, might uh, end up being uh, persuaded to buy other products that are more profitable for the insurance company and for the uh, insurance agent. Uh, so this is, this is the reason we have to watch uh, how well this initiative uh, can take off.
2: So why is there this focus on term assurance in particular in terms of trying to have a very low cost?
6: Uh, well uh, term insurance is actually the most suitable uh, type of life insurance for most people and so uh, they could invest their savings in uh, the uh, mutual funds or index funds to get a much higher return. Uh, so, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, what you have in Hong Kong, the ILAS Investment Link Assurance Scheme and similar products in Singapore uh, all have got very high commissions taken from the policies. Uh, therefore, uh, uh, in order to give consumer a better choice, uh, the government uh, tries to set up this uh, direct purchase of term insurance as an alternative
4: All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Tan. That's Tan Kin Lian, and he is the director of Tan Kin Lian and Associates. Well, here we are at the end of the show. Let's take another quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is now down exactly half a percent to 19,665. Australia's ASX 200 down a six-tenth of a percent to 5675 and Sold's cost be up 0.03% to 2114 Gold is currently valued at $1,203.50 per ounce and Brent Crude Oil at $66.55. So, uh, Richard, uh, aside from selling your life away on this insurance, uh, what do we have to look forward to?
2: Well, I think the key thing at the moment is this bond sell-off because it's important I think, for the markets for it not to really become too contagious uh, and and follow on through. We've all been forecasting the bond market to weaken for about the last three or four, maybe even five years, uh, and it hasn't. Uh, The big question is, is this the time?
4: Is this the time? All right, Richard, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is our regular Friday uh, guest host who is here joining us on Thursday instead, Richard Harris of Port Shelter Investment Management. And I'm Renita Malhotra Hura, wrapping up for this morning's Money for Nothing. A quick look, look at the weather forecast. For today, it'll be mainly cloudy, hot with sunny periods during the day and a few isolated showers. The temperature right now is 28 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 88
1: Time for the half-hour news with Samantha Butler. At least 31 workers are known to have died in a fire at a sandal-making factory in the Philippine capital, Manila. About 30 more are still missing. Rescue workers are struggling to recover bodies from the second floor of the factory, where many workers were trapped as the blaze spread and thick black smoke engulfed the building. The blaze was apparently started by sparks from welding work. One survivor described what happened. We saw the smoke and then there was an explosion and a huge fire went out of the fire exit. But our co-workers upstairs didn't know there was a fire on the first floor. They weren't able to go down and they were trapped upstairs. There were more or less 70 of them. Indonesia's foreign ministry has denied reports. The country's navy towed a boat carrying asylum seekers back out to sea. Radio Australia's George Roberts reports from Jakarta.
0: In recent weeks, hundreds of Rohingya asylum seekers have turned up in Indonesia's Aceh province. There have been reports that a boat carrying 350 was intercepted in Indonesian waters on Tuesday and pushed back out to sea by the country's navy. But the Indonesian Foreign Ministry spokesman Armanata Nasir says a patrol boat found the asylum seekers in the Malacca Strait. He says they were trying to get to Malaysia and asked for food, water and fuel. Mr Nasir says the navy gave provisions and left them to have right of power. Passage through the strait.
1: The United Nations World Food Programme says it's desperately short of funds to help earthquake victims in Nepal. After Tuesday's large quake, the second in 18 days, Nepalese officials say resources being used for relief have now been refocused on rescue missions. But Patrick Fuller of the Red Cross says a rescue team had to withdraw from one location because of safety concerns. It was
6: just too powerless for them to remain there.